God's good, isn't he? This morning, it's like we have arrived home after a long trip. We're to the last message of our Here to There uh, series. This is week 17 of this series. Uh, the last 10 days, I've been on vacation up in northern Minnesota. Got home last night about 5.30. I got out of my truck. I don't know how you all are. I just want to kiss the driveway. So happy to be home. I loved the, the, the time with my grandkids and family, and, and it was really a, a, a good time. I'm so thankful to be home. It just it feels good. And we're kind of home this morning with this series. Um, we're finishing up this last leg of the, of the trip t- uh, this morning on adversity. We begin this four weeks ago, and this morning we're going to kind of bring it all uh, uh, together as we talk about facing off adversity that is resulting from our faith. Uh, of being a follower uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that uh, as we started this uh, leg on adversity that life is just full of adversity. Would you agree with me on that? I mean, you just are going to have adversity just by being a human being. Jesus made this promise. In this life, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome this world. So in this life, we will just naturally have troubles. I thought about this yesterday. I'm getting ready to go home. I'm helping my son with his car. His power steering squeaking a little bit. So I thought, we well, just tighten that belt. So I get down to get under the car. And you ever have your neck just do that thing? I said, oh, no, I pulled my neck. And then, of course, I get to drive for six hours with it pulled, right? My head got heavier and heavier and heavier. Pretty soon I thought, man, my head weighs a lot. You ever been there with that? And last night I got to sleep in a recliner. Yay, right? Because it hurt so bad. That's just kind of the adversity of life. If you're, if you're just a human being and you're alive, if you have brothers and sisters, if you have a mom and dad, if you have friends, if you go to school, whatever you do, if you work, you're going to have some kind of adversity. And your adversity is not going to look like my adversity. And we got to lose the fairness question when it comes to adversity in our lives because God is sovereign and he's working for our good. And we have to begin to embrace it, the adversity that comes our way as a tool that God has given us and graced us with to become more like Jesus Christ. Then the second week when we looked at this topic of adversity, that, that would be uh, three weeks ago, um, we talked in this idea that God doesn't need our cleverness. What he needs is our obedience. And so when we're facing adversity in our life, we don't need to be clever and figure out how to get out of it. We need to be obedient in the middle of it. And then last week, Pastor Aaron talked on this idea that God has perfect timing and that sometimes his timing is not our timing, right? And that uh, sometimes we get impatient and, and sometimes we just have to wait on God. And that may seem like a long wait, but it, it, it definitely we want to wait on God's timing. Now this morning, we're going to talk on this idea that... As a follower of Jesus Christ, you will face adversity just be simply because you have the name Jesus associated with you. It's just going to be a facet of your Christian experience. we got to expect that. we got to be ready for it. In fact, all throughout the Bible, it's example after example, uh, the people of God facing adversity simply because they were the people of God. For instance, Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel was uh, thrown into the lion's den because he was a follower of God. The king made an edict. Everybody has to worship me and me alone. Daniel kept worshiping God, kept praying to God. He was tattled on by the people that wanted to give him trouble and thrown into the lion's den. God miraculously shut the lion's mouth and they didn't harm Daniel. But you know, there's no guarantee as a follower of God that you won't suffer some harm. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, you see that many followers of God gave their lives for following God. It's just part of the package of being a follower of God. I like reading Fox's Book of Martyrs in my spare time. It's a little bit of a strange habit, isn't it? But it brings me to perspective of what it means 
to be a follower of God. Many of these ones that have gone before us have given their life as they follow God. And one of the ones I, I uh, like to read about is this guy named St. Alban. He was the first British martyr. And here's what happened in his life. He, he was raised worshiping the ancient gods of Roman of Rome, okay? And so uh, this Christian movement thing happens, and he was a man that it was said had a kind disposition. So this, this fellow, this fugitive basically, who's a Christian, is on the run from uh, the governor and the authorities uh, of that area, and, and Alban put him up in his house. He was kind towards this guy. Well, this guy witnessed to Alban, and, and, and pretty soon Alban got intrigued by it, and he gave his life to Jesus because this guy who was being persecuted ended up in his home. Well, then the authorities found out that this guy was staying at Alban's house. And he had this idea, I will give you my clothes, and you can use them as a disguise. You give me your clothes, and you can make out of here and, and be disguised. Well, that worked for the guy escaping. It didn't work out so well for Alban. Uh, the authorities were really mad at him for doing this, so they arrested him instead. And they brought him before the, the court and told him to renounce Jesus Christ and to sacrifice to Jupiter, and he would not do that. He said, I'm now a Christian. I can't do that. And they said, so you'll take the place of the guy that you allow to escape. We're going to uh, behead you. And so the governor ordered him to be you know, executed. And his testimony was so powerful and how well he took the torture and the scourging that they, they then proceeded to uh, you know, put upon him that the executioner became convinced that Christianity was the true way and gave his life to Christ. As, as Alban was being led to be executed, the executioner said, let me be executed instead of him. And they, or let us be executed together. So the governor said, we'll choose the latter. You can both be beheaded together. And they were. And I read those stories, I go, wow. In this world, we will have troubles, like Jesus said, but take heart, I've overcome this world. In this world, if you're a follower of Jesus, at some point, point, you're probably just going to be persecuted or, or face adversity simply because you have the name Christ associated with you. As a follower of God, just think about this. Giving your life to Jesus Christ, you're going to face some adversity most likely from your family. I don't know if any of you have ever faced some of that. I have. Just because you're a Christ follower. It doesn't mean uh, that you've done anything wrong, but just because of that association, you might face some adversity. Some of your family may reject you because of that. Your friends, especially former friends, before your conversion, may try to unconvert you. Anybody ever face that? They may say, come on, let's go have some fun. You used to be a fun person. Now you're just fuddy-duddy. You know, you're going to face some adversity because of, of, of friends that aren't Christ followers. You'll face some adversity from co-workers at times if you're a Christ follower. They'll harass you. They'll say things about you, you Bible thumper, or they'll, they'll say some things about you that uh, aren't very edifying just because you're a Christ follower. Um, you know what I often find to be one of the saddest situations and most difficult situations is when a married couple has one uh, of the two give their life to Christ, but the other one won't. And then that person has to figure out how to do life with this person that's supposed to be intimate with me in every single way, in every aspect of my life, but they're not in the most important part of my life now. And that's adversity, isn't it? We're going to all face adversity at times because we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in this last message on adversity, what I want to do with you is share with you, uh, I think, some important concepts of how to stand fast in your faith as you are facing some adversity because you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to use the character Joseph from the Old Testament as our example this morning. Joseph's introduced to us when he's 17 years old in Genesis 37. 
We're told that he came from a blended family. I don't know if you ever thought about it that way, but his dad had two wives and then two handmaidens by which he had all these children. And so there's this big, humongous, blended family. And Joseph is the favorite of his dad because his mom is his dad's favorite, okay? And so now you have this dynamic that's really bad in a blended family. And to make matters worse, Joseph's dad gives him a coat of many colors. You might as well just have put a target on the boy and told his brothers, hate this kid, right? I mean, I talk about dumb parenting. Anyway, that's a... Uh, anyway, so right away in the story, you can see that Joseph is facing some adversity because of his family. But also, God is at work in this boy's life. He's giving him dreams about what's to come. Now, Joseph, being 17, probably wasn't real wise yet on what he should share and not share with his family. So he gets his dream, and he tells his brothers and his mom and dad about it. And basically, in the, what the dream was about was that at one point in their lives, all of his brothers and his mom and dad would bow down to him. Now, that did not sit well with his brothers. They were really mad at Joseph. And so later on in the story of Joseph, as it continues to unfold, we're told that dad sent him out to check on his brothers while they were tending the flocks, and the brothers see him coming, and they're angry and jealous at this kid. They throw him in a pit, and then they see a band of Ishmaelites coming along, and they say, I got a brilliant idea. Let's sell this kid as a slave to these guys. That's pretty drastic, Right? I mean, Sean, you do some things that, you know, sometimes I wonder about Sean. You know what I mean? No, I don't at all. Sean's a great guy. But if I ever got mad enough to say, I'm going to sell Sean to a band of Ishmaelites, please stop me. It's not going to be a good thing. That's what they did to their brother. And so Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers. They dip his coat of many colors into red, adding their own color to it, taking it back to dad saying, this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours is dead. And the story of Joseph now just continues to unfold in this terminology of adversity. And so the Ishmaelites take him down to Egypt. They sell him to Potiphar, and he becomes an indentured servant, basically, to Potiphar's household. He's a slave to Potiphar. And if that's not bad enough, then he has to face off this wife of Potiphar's who starts getting, you know, intrigued with Joseph and wanting to have an encounter with him. In fact, I put the scripture up on the screen for you. I'm not going to read all the scripture for you today. It's from Genesis uh, 39. You can read it if you want to not even listen to me and you want to just read the scripture, that's great. Okay, but I'll just give you a quick summary. So Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and he sold to this uh, Egyptian Potiphar as his uh, slave. And basically, God was with him, and everything Joseph touched prospered, and and Potiphar became so confident of Joseph, he said he would just take everything, and all Potiphar had to worry about from that point on was basically what he was going to eat. But Joseph had a problem that some of us have. He was handsome. (laughs) Amen? I'm not talking about me now. Some of you all are handsome, or some of you all are beautiful. If you're a woman, you know I use that word. You know it's just a problem, isn't it? Do you ever think, man, this is a problem? Anyway, it was a problem for Joseph, and and, uh, Potiphar's wife noticed this is a good-looking boy, and she began to make, you know, advances towards him, and boy, then he had this temptation going on, and he denied her, and he said, look, your master entrusts me with everything. How can I sin against God, and how can I, you know, basically do this thing against the master? He's trusted me with everything, but she just kept pestering him, and one time he shows up in, in, in the household, and it's just her and him. 
There's, everyone else is gone. And she grabs him by the cloak and says, now is the time. And he flees, leaving his, his, his garment behind. And she's uh, mad now, and, 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 and she decides to kind of turn the tables on him. And she begins to tell the servants that he was making advances at her. And see, she screamed, and he left his cloak behind. And she sits there with the cloak next to her until Potiphar shows up and says, look what this servant of yours tried to do to me, tried to make sport with me. And here's his cloak he left behind. And now Potiphar's really mad at uh, Joseph. And so he sends Joseph to where? Remember? Prison. So Joseph's integrity got him into prison. And then prison, once again, we're, we're told this. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph. He gave him success in whatever he did. Have you noticed this reoccurring theme? Joseph's facing all kinds of adversity, but what's happening in the middle of that adversity? Success, success. His troubles don't end there, though. Later on, we're told that a couple uh, end up in prison with him, uh, uh, former servants to Pharaoh himself, thrown into prison because they found disfavor in Pharaoh's eyes. And they have dreams, and Joseph says, God can interpret these dreams, and he interprets those dreams for these two inmates. And he tells them, listen, when this stuff comes to be, please what? Remember me, because I've been placed here unfairly in this prison. Remember me and make my case to Pharaoh. Well, the two get released just like Joseph said they would, and the one gets released to his death just like Joseph predicted. Uh, I don't think that guy's going to remember Joseph anyway, right? If you're going to your death, the last thing you're going to care about is the guy that interpreted your dream, right? But the other one's restored to his former position and promptly forgets about Joseph. I tell you what. Sometimes adversity takes the form of just being forgotten, being minimized, being marginalized to insignificance. That's what culture's trying to do to Christianity right now. You understand that, right? Just marginalize us to insignificance. And that's a form of adversity that we often don't name adversity, and it is. So let's go over Joseph's adversity. First of all, there's betrayal by jealous, angry brothers that resulted in slavery. There's false accusation. That resulted then in prison and forgotten by one who should have remembered and left to languish then in prison. So there's betrayal, false accusation, and being forgotten. All this adversity is basically happening in his life because he's a follower of God. First of all, his brothers are mad because of his dream. But who gave him the dream? God. Secondly, he's thrown into prison. Why? Because of his convictions and his integrity and doing what is right before God's sight. How could I sin against God, he said, and do this thing, right? And lastly, God gave him the ability to interpret these dreams and the guys completely forgot about him. So let's talk about handling adversity that results from your faith. Now, listen, these first two points are going to go, wow, you know that. Good. You know it's more important to do it than to know it, Right? And so these first couple points are obvious, but then we're going to get to a couple at the end, I think, that aren't so obvious, that are super important in handling adversity because of your faith. So first of all, realize the Lord is with you. A common theme in Joseph's life is that the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him when he was a slave, part of his household. The Lord was with him when he was in prison. It's a constant theme that the Lord is with us. A story is told of a woman and a man that were driving along 
in, in a big old car. And let me give you the setting for this. This is an older story. It's a big old car with a bench seat in the front. Do you remember those, any of you? We owned a Delta 88, 1966 model when we first got married. That baby had a bench seat that was wide enough for Vicky could lay in it, and her head didn't touch or her feet didn't touch the side of the cars. Any of you remember those kind of cars? I affectionately called it our boat. It had a 400-some cc engine. It was actually, it was just hum- 400 cubic inches. What am I saying? Back then, they didn't do cc's. Anyway, you follow what I'm saying? It was this huge car. And so, so this couple's in this car. And one day, she's lamenting to her husband. We never sit close to each other anymore. And he gets a little wry smile on his face. And he's driving along. He says, I haven't moved, honey. Move on back over next to me, right? You're the one that moved. I didn't move. It's one of those bench seats. I don't know if you know. You could just, you can move all over them. There was no center council. It was just a big old honking seat. At any rate, listen, God has promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Amen, right? If you're feeling like God has left you, if you're feeling distant from God, guess what? He has not moved. You've moved. You need to slide back next to him if you're feeling that way today. You need to slide over in the bench seat and get next to the Lord. He doesn't leave us. He does not forsake us. So if you once felt close to God and today you're saying, I don't feel that close to God, I'm going to tell you something fundamental. You've moved. He has not moved. Slide back in the seat next to him and get close to him and intimate with him once again. I love the promise of Psalm 121, verse 1 through 3. Listen to this. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He watches over you, will not slumber. So, first thing, to remember, God is always with you. You're going to be persecuted for your faith some. You're going to face some adversity because of your faith. But what? God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Amen? Amen? Thank you. In all circumstances, this is a point to remain true to God. Joseph was masterful at doing this. In all circumstances, remain true to God. He understood that giving to temptation to Potiphar's wife was a sin against God. He said, I'm going to remain, remain true to God no matter what the consequences. And it cost him prison, didn't it? In all circumstances, you know, if you're being at all persecuted for your faith, if you're facing any adversity because your faith, remain true to God. Okay, so these two, I think, are kind of obvious. Let's go to this next level, though. Now we're going to get a little deeper. We're going to drill into this thing just a little bit more because this is one where I looked at it and go, I don't think I do this very well in the middle of adversity that I face. I bet most people don't. Whatever situation you find yourself in, serve as unto the Lord. Joseph was really good at that. So he's a slave in Potiphar's household. What was he doing there? He was serving Potiphar. For the benefit of Potiphar, wasn't he? The one who held him in captivity, he served. When he went to prison, what did Joseph do? He served. He served so well that he's put in charge of everything, in Potiphar's household and in prison. When we're facing adversity, what should we do? Serve those ones around us, even the ones who are the source of our adversity. Amen? This is hard stuff. But this is the example of Joseph, and this is how you redeem that situation. So let me ask you uh, these questions. Just think on this with me uh, for a, a couple of minutes. What would it look like if you served a family that's rejecting you because of your faith? What would it look like if you serve friends around you 
that we're trying to get you to step out of your faith and to do the things you used to do that maybe you don't do anymore because you're a follower of Christ. What would it look like to serve Christ in a culture that basically wants to forget about Jesus and forget about religion entirely? What would it look like to serve in that circumstance? What would it look like to serve coworkers that mock the things of Christ or say it's not relevant to real life? What would it look like to serve such ones? Don't just be satisfied with tolerating and staying, so to speak, true to God. What does it look like to take that next huge step of serving? Because that's what Joseph did. I remember my grandma Sanderson, this isn't uh, anything to do basically with, with being persecuted for your faith, but it's a great example of, of how to serve. I remember Grandma Sanderson, um, uh, I remember humming all the time and singing a hymn out of key. She just had a terrible voice. Um, her parents, I think on her side, were immigrants. I always get this confused. I guess on my dad's side, it's like, I'm third, on my mom's side, I'm third generation. My dad's side, fourth, I think. Vicky figured this out the other day for me. I, I can't remember. At any rate, so her, her, her parents were given land in northern Minnesota. They gave it away to some immigrants. You know, there's a reason why they gave northern Minnesota land away. You know that, right? It stinks. Okay? I didn't say Norwegians are the brightest bulb on the block. But they got free land, and, and Norway was having some issues at the time. And so anyway, um, they ended up farming in northern Minnesota. You know what northern Minnesota grows really well? Rocks. Every year you got a fresh crop of rocks to pick. That's what I remember. Piles of rocks at the corner of every field. It didn't grow things very well. It was kind of a hard life. And my grandma was in the middle of that uh, life, and she, she never once did I ever see her discouraged. She was always working hard. She did the laundry by hand. I don't mean really by hand. Um, and I remember her doing that scrubbing thing and hanging out. And she's, oh, she'd be humming this thing. Of, what is that noise? That's a hymn of some sort, I think. You know, and she would just hum that thing out. And she was always so encouraging to me. As, and she had a lot of grandkids. Like, I have a lot of grandkids right now. In fact, I think of her a lot in that regard. I, I thought, you know, Jesus really had a hold of this woman's heart. Because no matter what she faced, she was always just humming that hymn out of tune and serving everybody around her. How would our lives look different if we had that attitude and we brought it into those places even where adversity was reigning? We just, you don't have to hum a hymn out of tune, unless you want to. But, you know, what would it look like if we really truly served? And here's one last thought here from Joseph. Make it your practice to acknowledge God as your source. Joseph made it that his practice. He was always acknowledging that God was a source. When he interpreted the dream for the two inmates, he said, God can interpret dreams. Well, later on, that inmate that, he, that, that didn't die, that was restored to his position in Pharaoh's household, he remembered Joseph because Pharaoh had a dream. No one could interpret it. He goes, oh, there was this guy in prison. I remember, I remember him now. He can interpret your dream. And so Joseph brought before Pharaoh the the trump of the land, the chart, okay, that wasn't that funny, was it? The guy had an ego the size of this building, right? All right, that wasn't even funny either, okay? But he, he, Pharaoh was hugely into himself. Are you understanding this? 
you were called before this guy and you're to interpret his dream. This is your chance to get out of prison, right? This is your chance to get out of prison, right? So here's what Joseph says as he talks to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that you can hear a dream and you can interpret it. Now stop there. Just imagine you're Joseph. Me, 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 me. I can do that. Get me out of this prison. I was unfairly put in this prison, blah, blah, blah. Wouldn't you be making your case? What does Joseph say? I cannot do it. What? Joseph, you just said to the power of the land, I can't do it. But then he goes on to say this. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. What would it look like in your life if in the midst of the adversity that you're facing for being a follower of God, if you were the one that would just acknowledge God constantly, I can't do this, but God can. I can't do it, but God can. What would that look like? How would that change that circumstance? One last thing I want to talk to you about, and then we're done with, with uh, this last leg on adversity here in our Here to There series. Um, handling adversity includes seeing the big picture. You've got to see the big picture because in the middle of your pain and stuff, it's natural to focus on that. If you're going to handle adversity rightly, especially for being a follower of God, you've got to see the big picture. Joseph was really good at that. He saw the big picture of what God was up to. Now remember, he's now second in the land to Pharaoh himself because he interpreted Pharaoh's dream and the dream was that they'd have seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And all that gets interpreted by Joseph. And Pharaoh says, well, what man is there better than you to take charge of basically Egypt and prepare us for the famine? So he goes from prison to being second in charge uh, over Egypt. And everything that the dream said comes true. And so now they're now, let's, let's get with me. They're now in the famine years. Joseph's brothers are now going through the famine over here. They weren't prepared for it. They didn't know what was coming. So they make their way over to Egypt because they hear there's food in Egypt. And guess who they appear before to ask for food? Joseph, their brother. And they don't recognize him. They just look at him as this feared leader of Egypt. But eventually, Joseph makes himself known to his brothers. And here's what he says. He saw the big picture. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph. I would have said that with a smile. Remember me, guys? The one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. I wouldn't have said that very fast. But he seems to say this right away. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it's not you who sent me here, but God. He may be father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. So this, this big picture you gotta get is this. You gotta see beyond yourself and realize what God is doing. If you're gonna handle adversity, you have gotta see beyond yourself because you're gonna feel what? Some pain, some discomfort, some inconvenience. You gotta see beyond that and see what is God up to? What's he doing here? Amen? Right? If you don't see the big picture, you're not going to handle adversity very well. So just uh, think about that. At any rate, this is it. We're to the end of the message. And what I want to do is something I, I, I think is really important. I want to do a couple minutes summary on just using adversity as a benefit. 
This is for the whole last four weeks now, okay? You've got to use adversity as a friend, not a foe. So, first of all, use it to turn your attention and affections to Jesus. Your adversity will either drive you to Jesus or drive you away from Jesus. You have got to allow it to drive you to Jesus. Use your adversity, then, to turn your attention and your affections towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, use it for self-examination. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're told this by the Apostle Peter. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But it rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests in you. If you suffer, it should be not as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So, when you're facing some adversity, ask a simple question. Did I do something wrong? If you did, correct it. If it's simply because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then rejoice that God has counted you worthy to suffer. Amen? Thirdly, get this. Embrace it as a means for genuine faith. Your faith isn't faith until it's tested. And adversity tests your faith. Right? And it becomes real. And lastly, embrace it as a means to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Jesus Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, a participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. So, given, you're going to suffer some adversity, right? It could be a neck pull from working on a car. It could be something simple like that, and you could spend a night in a recliner. It could be something mean said to you. I, I, I was coming home from... Uh, Brainerd yesterday, it is crazy up northern Minnesota on the weekends. And I'm sitting there after I gassed up. I'm on the wrong side of the road because I, I went to the gas station that was cheap. Right? You all would do that, wouldn't you? So I'm sitting there thinking, how am I ever going to get back on this road with this camper? And it's just constant traffic. Like, I could see a couple miles both. And I thought, oh, my goodness, it's never going to let up. So finally, I see an opening. It's about a block long. So I just gunned her to get out and then, you know, got out there pretty fast. And somebody decided to be really friendly and let me know that they were displeased with my move. And they honked. Not a little honk. It was a, like for about a block. And I looked at him and said, really? Really? You didn't even slow down. And you're going 20 miles an hour over the speed limit already. You know? And my first initial thought was, I should make some kind of gesture back at this guy. <laughs> maybe a honk. Maybe return his honk. I'm not talking, well, you could you take gesture whatever way you want. But, you know, but then I thought, no, I'm preaching on adversity tomorrow. I can't do that. <laughs> but actually, I just got over it real quick because I thought, I really didn't do anything wrong. He didn't even slow down. I wasn't even close. He's just tooting his horn, pulling a big boat, feeling manly. All right, I'm minimizing them now. All right, you know. But you follow what I'm saying. I thought, you know what? In former days, that would have bothered me for like an hour. It really didn't bother me. I thought, all right, I, maybe I could have waited another half an hour. I don't know. You know what I mean? But, but you know, you just, you're going to have some of that stuff happen. The culture we live in isn't that friendly at times, is it? And you just got to say, okay, it's just not going to affect my spirit and it's not a good effect me, but don't pull out people on purpose now, you know. I'm not saying that. Anyway, so we need to get to the point where uh, adversity is our friend, not a foe. 
It's that we see it as a tool that God wants to use to conform us to Jesus Christ, where Romans 8.28 becomes a reality, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those um, that, that love him and have been called according to his purpose. Amen? I'm going to quit. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this uh, series here to there and for this last four weeks of being uh, in this topic of adversity. I just pray that we've been equipped, Lord, to look a little bit more like Jesus and think more like him, act more like him, Lord, and have that outcome of moving from here to there, uh, getting a little closer to Jesus be a reality for each one of us. God, I know that in a church this size that there's a multiplicity of adversity uh, levels that people are facing off right now from very minor things to maybe some really heavy-duty stuff. God, would you be their God? I pray today they know that you're with them. And if they're feeling distant from you, God, you haven't moved. They've moved, and I pray they move back towards you, Lord Jesus. And I pray that in whatever situation we're finding ourselves, we would serve even those who maybe are adversaries that we would serve. And in all ways, we acknowledge you, God. I pray this would just become how we deal with adversity, Lord. Uh, and I, I, just, I just pray for everyone here, no matter what they're going through, Lord God, that they would cling tightly to this, this morning, to you this morning. Now as we close in song, I pray, Lord, that we would just praise you and worship you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower us to become something that we can't do ourselves. So we cry out to you this morning, work in, in, in each one of us, Lord, as only you can do through the person of the Holy Spirit.